Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me today is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on the use of force legislation and more of what we're sponsoring is a plan. We have a plan to address use of force issues um, regarding our law enforcement, our peace officers. Um, right now, we are sponsoring a bill, Senate Bill 230, and um, that's really what we're going to talk about and um, some, of the other, uh, some of the other items associated with our plan, uh, which is so important. If you aren't aware, um, PORAC has sponsored a, uh, a bill. Uh, that addresses a, a variety of issues that we're going to discuss. Um, but it wasn't just us. It was a coalition of law enforcement associations. Uh, the sheriffs, uh, the chiefs, and some other folks uh, have come together to, uh, to create a plan uh, that we think is the best course of action uh, moving the state of California forward. Actually, with uh, our proposal, it'll put California on the forefront uh, dealing with this issue, and I think it's vitally important that uh, we continue to move in this direction. We can't continue to be no at the Capitol, and uh, we're all problem solvers uh, in our jobs. We do it every day uh, when we respond to calls. So this was put into our lap, and we're going to, uh, not going to say we're going to fix it. I think it's uh, unrealistic to say that there will ever be a use of force uh, incident after this legislation, but the goal is to uh, reduce those critical incidents. Um, nobody wants to be involved in a, uh, a shooting, and unfortunately, um, those will continue to happen even after this bill. But I think the plan that we've put together uh, is optimal, uh, moves us in the right direction. On the converse, um, the opponents to us, uh, they've introduced a bill, AB 392, uh, which basically uh, criminalizes peace officers for doing their job. So uh, let's break this down, Damon, and um, take a look at uh, what we're proposing. Really what we have here is is a plan to address the statutes um, I know they talk about one of the statutes that was created in uh, 1872. Pretty much it's the fleeing felony rule. Uh, we all know uh, it's a good soundbite, um, but the reality is, is we all know that uh, Tennessee versus Garner basically uh, voided that statute. Uh, so what we're doing is, is we're addressing that uh, by changing the statute to, uh, to that level. Right. And then uh, we're not changing Graham v. Connor, which is, uh, which is important. Um, I think the Supreme Court actually got that one uh, very right. I don't even know if you could say that. Absolutely. I I think what we're doing is just trying to bring our California statutes up to par with the Supreme Court decisions and so that it's, you know, crystal clear what those are versus language that is, uh, you know, let's just say outdated from the 1800s and we're just bringing it to uh, today's day and age. And I think it's important that that we do that. Uh, It's definitely one of the issues that we heard last year um, about AB 931. One of the things that uh, was continually brought up was the fact that we were not at the table on that proposal uh, at any point in time. For this one, uh, we were able to actually uh, create a coalition. Uh, We worked well together. I think the coalition that we've created will work very well 
on other items outside of this. Um, it was really nice to see all of us come together, talking about an issue, trying to find solutions, thinking outside of the box. Um, like I stated earlier in the program, this really is a plan, and the statute is only one component of it. The other piece is going to the training and procedures and post. You know, I know you come from Fresno and, uh, you know, a pretty large department. How much training do you guys get down there? And, and uh, you know, how important do you think it is that uh, posts continue to be the leader in, the, in providing all the training statewide? Well, I, I think it's extremely important. And do, what kind of training do we get? I think it's similar, like most places, is it's been uh, reduced over the last few years. You know, we went through the recession and those training budgets never really came back. And then with some of the legislation we won't go into that really kind of had a negative financial impact on post on where they get their funding really limited most departments' ability to give proper amounts of training. They're given what they have to give by statute, um, you know, to make sure that uh, we're getting, you know, training. But is it adequate? I don't know. I think uh, with anything, it's a perishable skill. You know, you have perishable skills training, but it doesn't really come as often as you probably need it to. Um, There's just not enough money for backfill. There's just not enough personnel to really get the training that we need. And I think that's something that's probably misunderstood from the public. I think they think we get more training than we do. You know, there's been an ask for it for years. It's just this, our bill will address that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think you touch on a very good topic on the training component of it is actually getting hands-on training, not, uh, not reading a, uh, an eight-page policy or procedure or watching a video, but actually um, doing interactive type of training. You know, there's been research around that. Um, both of the UNI are with, both in the military. And, you know, the training was consistent and constant, and it was actually putting you in scenarios. Um, so when certain situations would happen, um, you'd have some muscle memory involved, but you made really good choices on how to deal with things. And I think it's vitally important that through POST that we can contribute the funds necessary to make sure that POST has provided the opportunity to give that type of training and agencies could then utilize that by sending officers to training uh, either locally or somewhere in the state. I think that is one of the other components that's extremely important in this legislation is the training and policies piece of it. Um, a lot of issues come up regarding uh, accountability. You know, the opposition, the ACLU, and the folks that support them, uh, you know, it, the feeling I walk away from the table when I have talks about their legislation is, is they feel that if we lock up more police officers, then that will solve the issue. When in reality, all you're doing is criminalizing somebody's profession and the way that we react to things and how we handle situations. You know, these are very tense high stress, rapidly evolving situations. Um, Officers are having to make split second decisions sometimes uh, in these critical incidents. And you have to ask yourself, if you know all of the details afterwards, you know, it's easy to judge somebody. You know, sitting here, um, I could be the greatest NFL coach uh, on Monday, you know, being able to hindsight somebody. And, And the Supreme Court really recognized that issue and how important it is that we're judging officers based by other officers 
under similar circumstances and that they were reasonable in the decisions that they chose. Absolutely. I don't think you can expect any one or two officers to react the same way, but were they reasonable in how they did that? What was the what information did they have when they took those actions, not what the information you had after the fact? So moving on to, um, so we have the statute that we're working on. We have the training and policies that we're working on. And then the third component, and we haven't really introduced that too much, but it's really going to be uh, targeting homelessness, mental health, addiction, and recovery outreach. Um, right now, uh, and I say this many times, you know, we're one of the few, uh, you know, you call 911 24-7, we're going to pretty much respond uh, to the incident. And a lot of stuff like, you know, Damon talked earlier about the budget cuts, you know, the cuts keep coming and coming and coming and more gets put onto our laps and handling that. And one of the biggest things that's really come to light is uh our departments, our officers handling the homelessness issue, the mental health issue, the substance abuse issue, all of that stuff uh, pretty much falls in our lap. And, you know, we're being judged based on, uh, you know, all of these calls, all of these uh, types of uh, issues, societal issues, um, but yet there's no resources for it. So one of the things that we are going to propose is a uh, $300 million budget request, $100 million per year. Uh, $50 million of that will be used for emergency response programs. Uh, in San Diego, we uh, we call them uh, hot teams or uh, problem-oriented policing. Then uh, we got another $40 million uh, designed to assist with persons on the street with mental illness, PERT teams. I don't know if they call them that in San Diego, uh, but this is where an officer actually rides with a clinic. And then we want uh, $10 million for pre-arrest addiction and recovery programs uh, that connect opioid and other addictive drug users to recovery and create addiction recovery teams to help individuals find treatment. In this component of it, we've actually reached out to uh, to mental health experts. We looked at programs throughout the United States to try to address this issue because let's not try to reinvent the wheel on this. There's a lot of people out there that know a lot about this. Let's try to bring them into the equation to support us and what we're doing out there and trying to create a program where maybe we don't have to interface with all of these people all of the time and bring these professionals and maybe the professionals can go out there and and deal with some of this stuff, uh, take some of that off of our plate, hopefully. By doing that, it would, would lower the amount of uh, critical incidents that we have to respond to. Yeah, I think... Uh Trying to find wraparound services that can be provided for both mental health and substance abuse is extremely important. And I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we don't believe that uh, many uh, critical incidents, use of force situations don't derive themselves out of mental health and or um, substance abuse. And then we're called to the scene and expected to, you know, address the situation that sometimes you know, turns into a violent confrontation um, and then it turns into a, a bigger news story when we're just trying to take care of the situation with what resources we have, which is very limited. And this is hopefully will give us the resources to have peaceful outcomes. Absolutely. And I think the plan that we've created is a great avenue to uh, to further this discussion, to, uh, to minimize uh, critical incidents where deadly force is used. Um, unlike our uh, opposition, which, uh, which I've stated over and over again, is to criminalize uh, police officers, peace officers for the, uh, for the job that they're doing in the hopes that if enough peace officers are prosecuted, then uh, we pretty much won't do anything. And sadly, the communities that uh, that need our services the most will be uh, they'll be victimized even more than they already are. You know, by the criminals. I think Chicago is a good example of of a city that has uh, pretty much 
been de-policed, I guess, in a sense, because of an agreement that the department signed with the ACLU. Officers are just not in a position to be proactive um, when they're continually and constantly uh, badgered or, uh, you know, put up as, you know, they're going to be criminally charged for, uh, for doing their job. So that's where we're at. I uh, just wanted to give a brief update. I know there's a lot of information going out. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, misinformation going out. We wanted to, uh, to address some of those issues, uh, talk about the legislation, talk about our plan and how we move it forward. Um, another site you can go to is protectca.com, protectca.com, for a lot more information on how we're working together as a coalition to, uh, to address the use of force incidents throughout California and making California the leader on this in regards to uh, to legislation, training, policies, uh, the wraparound services, and being able to address all of those issues regarding uh, critical incidents. Yeah. I think we also need to tie into, you know, PORAC and politics in general and how, how this affects us, um, you know, from our lobbying efforts and what we do here at PORAC and um, what we need our associations to do to help us. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's going to be the big ask. And uh, we've been going around talking to the chapters, uh, pushing that out. We really need the support of uh, everybody who's a member of PORAC or whatever union you are because we do have a coalition uh, that goes across all of the groups throughout the state of California. We need your support. We need you to write letters. We need you to make calls. Um, I know the retirees uh, are active to get involved. And um, once we uh, start getting our information together and pushing that out to the retirees, we're going to ask them to help us out. But one of the things that we consistently hear is... We need to oppose all of this. And, you know, one thing I learned last year with the uh, fighting the AB 931 legislation was we can't continue to go to the Capitol and be no. We have to find solutions. We have to come up with proposals and we have to provide an opportunity for our elected leaders to say, here is a plan. It's a good plan. And this will be able to affect critical incidents in a positive manner. And I think that's important. I think it's sometimes lost a little bit on a membership because, you know, they they get wrapped up into the Democrat versus Republican piece of it. And the reality is we need to work hard for our profession to make sure that legislation like AB 392 doesn't come to fruition because then that is a complete game changer in the way that we do our job. Yeah, I think it's important for the membership to understand this goes all the way down to the local DSA, POA, and all the way up here to PORAC, that we we don't get to be partisan in, on how we address our issues. And, and, you know, you hear the saying, I use it all the time, you're either at the table or on the menu. Um, we have to go meet with all of our elected officials, regardless of their partisan their, their party, um, regardless of whether or not we agree or disagree with them. If we can't meet with them and speak to them about our issues, they're never going to see it our way. Um, so refusing to speak to people or taking a hardline approach to stuff, we're only painting ourselves into a corner and we're going to limit our effectiveness for our membership. Um, we have to be advocates for all police officers across the state and we have to be active. And we really need our members' support and to understand that, that we're not there to represent you individually. We're re- representing us as an organization, as, you know, every association across the state. And it's not just 
you know, me and what I think. It's it's what's best for us. Yeah, absolutely, especially as a profession. So, well, thanks again. Uh, we'll obviously be doing more of these down the road as uh, as the bill works its way through uh, the legislature. It has some committee hearings, um, and then it has to go to the floor. Uh, ours originated in the Senate, so uh, it has to go to the lower house uh, when it makes it through its way. And we appreciate all of the elected officials who have already co-authored our bill. Um, I think people are seeing it for what it is. It's a good bill. It's a good conversation piece. It moves us in the right direction. And I think it's a positive step for our profession uh, as a whole. Graham v. Connor and Tennessee v. Garner are um, great decisions by the Supreme Court that uh, allows us to make those types of decisions and and critical uh, incidents. Um, without being second-guessed or um, being a- our incidents being analyzed by 2020. So, again, we're going to need all your support, especially uh, writing letters and making phone calls. I want to thank you for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please join us on our social media platforms. Go to poorac.org for more info, poorac.org. If you listen to us on iTunes or Google, please give us five stars. That helps us get noticed. Don't forget to share our podcast with your Porac members, your family, and friends. All the best and have a safe day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 